Well, welcome to Grace Church, everybody. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It's the first Sunday of September. It's been quite a week, but here we are gathered together again to worship the Lord. I do want to just thank you, as always, for your faithfulness and giving. Don't forget, you can give online uh, to the kingdom of God, to the ministry of Grace Church. You can also give on your way out this morning at Grand Central. And then I also want to remind you that this coming Tuesday evening at 7.30, right here in the sanctuary, is First Tuesday Prayer. We want our entire church family to come, and let's pray together. Let's seek God and see what He will do in that time of prayer this Tuesday evening. Amen. Stand with me this morning, if you will. I'm thankful that the church is still alive. You know, the, the, the storm winds came and went, the, 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 the storm raged, and the church is still here. And I'm not talking about just this physical building made of steel and wood, although I am very thankful that God kept his hand on our campus. The Bible says that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. It says, but we have this treasure. You and I have this treasure in earthen vessels. So as long as we're alive and breathing and able to praise God and able to worship God, the church is alive. The church is moving on because you and I are here today breathing, living, and praising our God. So as the praise team leads us into his presence, would you just lift your voice? Would you clap your hands? And let's thank God for his goodness. Let's thank God for his church. Let's thank God that we're a part of the greatest thing happening in this world today. God bless you, Grace Church. Yeah. 
You keep the 
here today is God does not put marble tops on cheap furniture. So uh, that's, a, that's a comfort and a consolation right there. Today at Grace Church, we welcome all of our guests. Thank you so much for being here. Those of you watching live stream, Facebook Live, thank you. We always appreciate that as well. But today is unprecedented in the history of Grace Church. We've never uh, have done this in the past and uh, I've had more than a half dozen affirmations that what I'm about to do is the absolute positive and direct will of God today we are officially launching a theme for Grace Church that will be applicable for the rest of this year at least we're going to call it and it's what we're going to embrace as a church we're going to call it moving forward again. Grace Church has been bogged down, frustrated, fearful, discouraged. The list goes on for the past year and a half. But today, by the leading of the Holy Ghost, it is time to ask those who are present on campus to join with Pastor and let's begin moving the kingdom of God in our city, in our community, in our church forward again. Amen. Praise the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost already. I believe we're in the middle of God's will and purpose right now. You feel it too. You feel it too. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Thank the Lord. You may be seated. All of our students from junior high through college, if you would stand right now. We have a group of students up here at the front. 
that are hungry for a move of God. They have been charged up and fired up for the past several months. Thank you, you may be seated, but not only are we building on that, but as a church, we are committed to create an environment where they can develop and where they can flourish. Our junior varsity team, as we call most of them, is getting more and more involved. They've been scattered throughout this building, some still are, and moving in the production uh, part of this service right now. We also, in addition to that, have moms and dads who are stepping up, giving their time and talent, working and teaching. I will have all of Grace Church know today that to move forward is to go forward and outward at the same time. It is going straight and around at the same time. It's consistent and determined move toward God and our community at the same time. I'm calling on Grace Church to collectively embrace moving forward again, to unify and become one single unit and accept the challenge of moving the kingdom of God forward and outward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's finding and doing our purpose in the kingdom and in our community, all of us at the same time. It's reaching ahead for what's ahead. That is for hope, promise, and a revival in this church like we've never seen in its history. God can do it. I said God can do it. So first, we're moving Godward. We're moving heavenward. We're moving forward to leave carnality and worldliness behind, moving forward to embrace more prayer, fasting, commitment, loyalty, devotion, and love, moving forward to love God more, the kingdom more, and Grace Church more, moving forward to set aside bitterness, grudges, and prejudice, moving forward to be pure and holy and always available for service. Secondly, we're moving forward to impact our family, friends, and our community. Moving forward with pure, unbiased motives to reach our unchurched family and friends, to love them all unconditionally, to reach with godly intentions and with a spirit of true Christians to lead them to a real relationship with God. Moving forward to love backsliders, oh God, to love backsliders, to always be patient and kind while carefully showing them the path to hope, to healing, and to restoration. Moving forward in our speech, in our actions, in our motives, without bias and without prejudice, touching lives with the love of Jesus Christ. The future will present its challenges, but we must be up for it, not by being idle, but busy, productive, and available. So come on, Grace Church. Let's move forward. One more time. Would you stand to your feet this morning and let's pray right now that God will guide the footsteps of this church, our leadership team, that God will have his way. Everybody pray right now. Everybody talk to the Lord right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I feel the Spirit of the Lord here today. 
Now, I was being a little silly a few moments ago. I'm going to ask you to turn around and compliment somebody's hairdo. But right now, I'm being serious. I'd like you to turn around and tell somebody, I'm moving forward again. Are you? Mean it. Mean it. Mean it. We've got to have a move of God. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord one more time, shall we? Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. We'll read our scripture text in a few moments. People love stories of courage. Most of you will remember the historic account of Herodotus of the Battle of Thermopylae, which took place around 480 B.C. King Leonidas and his 300 Spartan warriors made a last stand against the 400,000 strong Persian army of King Xerxes. When Xerxes ordered Leonidas to surrender his weapons, Leonidas gave the famous reply that has been repeated through the centuries, You want them? Come and get them. Though they faced an overwhelming enemy, Greek morale was high. Herodotus writes that when one Spartan soldier was informed that the Persian arrows would be so numerous as to blot out the sun, he responded and said, So much the better. We shall fight in the shade. It is estimated that over 20,000 Persians were killed before Leonidas was betrayed and then he was killed. This story has been told in many different ways over the years in paintings, books, and movies. There's something compelling about it. Bravery in the face of hopelessness like Custer's Last Stand or Remember the Alamo. We can picture ourselves standing strong. Let me rephrase that. Can we picture ourselves standing strong in the face of an unbeatable foe, dreaming the impossible dream. The only thing I don't like about this story is the ending. What if, in true Hollywood style, instead of being defeated and dying, the 300 Spartans had won? What if the 300 had beaten the 400,000? Centuries before the battle of Thermopylae, there were... There was a similar battle that also involved 300 brave soldiers against a seemingly unbeatable foe. However, this time there was a very different outcome. The outcome was different in this case because God was on their side. You remember two Wednesday nights ago, those of you that were here, perhaps you watched it on our, our, our live stream, what have you, taught a Bible study about Caleb and showing our true potential, revealing our true potential. It wasn't about gifting and talent and so on, but it was emulating, if you will, recreating, if you will, a Book of Acts church and such negative culture and negative circumstances. I hope you remember that Bible study because I said I would be preaching the following Sunday a 
part two to that Bible study. We were not able to have church last Sunday, as you know, so here's part two. In Judges chapter 7, beginning verse 1. Then then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee, the people that are with you, not against you, with you, there are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, 22,000 men, leaving Gideon with only 10,000. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee. I will try them for thee at the water. These, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and whomsoever I shall say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, and the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth him, shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that laughed, will I save you. And I will deliver the Midianites into thy hand. So let all them other people Go into his own place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets. And he said, all the rest of the Israel, every man unto his, he sent every, all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent. And retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Brother Ben commented when he preached two Sundays ago that he had a lot of respect and endearment for sermon titles. So do I. I said that Wednesday night before last when I taught the Bible study that I taught about Gideon. But today is going to be the most special sermon title that I have ever titled a sermon. To me, it's kind of up there with Brother Treadway's sermon he preached a number of years ago at Because of the Times. And he called that sermon, You Picked a Fine Time to Leave Me Loose Hill. That was the title of his sermon. I'm going to put this one right up there with that, with that sermon title. I want to call this today, this sermon. I want Casey to have a plaque made of it, put it on our hallway across the hall. I want to preach to you for a little while about this bunch. This bunch. Not that bunch. Go ahead and get that out of the way. 
even though he's included. But this bunch of people that we call Grace Church, I want to call you this bunch. I have in my office the following that I'm about to share with you, and I've had it for years, probably well over 40 years. It's been given to two different presidents, and I don't want to split hairs with anybody about it, but I believe uh, JFK said it. But he said, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best, if he wins, knows the thrills of high achievement. And if he fails, at least fails daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know victory nor defeat. I want to say thank you to everyone here at Grace Church that has risked so much to show up on campus Sunday and Wednesday in and Sunday and Wednesday out for the past 18 months. You are the ones that I will very respectfully refer to as this bunch. We love and appreciate everyone at Grace Church, but I have a lot of respect and admiration for this bunch. I want to ask all of us here this morning in this time of certain direction, certain appeal by the Holy Ghost to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, you have been given one life to live, only one. The question I would like to ask you today is how will you live it? The church today is facing a great enemy. Our culture is turning in on the church. Our government is. We see it and we all know it. And we need as many as God will choose to join in the battle and to push back the darkness. We must be confident in the song we sing. The praise team sings it. Here are some of the words. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. Goes on to say he has overcome. Yes, he has overcome. We will not be shaken. And we will not be moved. Because Jesus, you are here. He's carrying our burdens. He's covering our shame. I will live, I will not die. The resurrection power of Christ alive in me. And I am free in Jesus' name. Here's the part. God is fighting for us. Pushing back the darkness. Lighting up a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, the enemy is defeated. And we will shout it out. And we will shout it out. I need some more to stand to your feet. And let's clap our hands again and shout out to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord today. Hallelujah. You may be seated. The kind of people that God is looking for can be summed up in three words. Willing 
and able. And I believe right now, right here, right now, God has his 300. How does that make you feel? That God has chosen us to come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah to God. In the story of Gideon, there are four types of Christians in terms of service. Number one is the group that's not willing, nor are they able. And I will simply call them the crowd. You understand, we could preach for two or three hours here today on every one of these points. I'm going to go as quickly as I can. Several nations that lived around Israel in our text, to the, to the north in what is present-day Syria, came together to march on Israel to destroy it. The army that came against them was massive. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, the Bible said, thick as locusts or grasshoppers. Their, their camels could no, could, could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. To come against this vast army, Gideon blew the trumpet and called all the northern tribes of the Israelites to come together and fight. The Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and summoned the Abysrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. And out of all of this big to-do, this big push, notice the Spirit of the Lord was upon Gideon. And hardly anybody saw it. Hardly anybody recognized it. Out of all this big push of gathering together an army, only 32,000 responded to the call and came together to face the enemy. I asked you a couple of Wednesday nights ago as I taught the study on Gideon to put yourself in his place, and I'm going to ask you to do it now. I've been trying my best to do it over the past several weeks. You have 182,000 men that's fixing to stomp you into the dirt. And with all you have on the inside of you, you summons every man Israel has to offer. And only 32,000 show up. Can't imagine how disheartening that must be. To call together a solemn assembly. And, and in, in comparison, only a handful of people show up. I think all of us would understand today that this did not represent all the men of fighting age that were available, but only 32,000 showed up. They were part of the Jewish nation, and like those who responded to the call, they had everything to lose, but they chose to stay home and let someone else fight their battle for them. They just simply did not show up. It is interesting that in the story of Herodotus' account of the battle of Thermopylae, after Leonidas was defeated, Xerxes 
ask why a larger army had not been sent to fight against him. The answer given was that most of the Greek men were participating in the Olympic Games. They were too interested and more interested in the games than in the battle. Likewise, the church today is facing a great enemy. Just turn on the news and look at the world around you. Marriages are under attack. The liberal media is dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. It's dragging the church and Christian people through the mud. We all know that. This is a very real, real and clear agenda to destroy the church. The host of hell has gathered and God is sounding the trumpet and calling on the church to fight. Hence why I'm asking that we move forward again in the power and might of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. But unfortunately, there are too many who will just not show up. All around us we see this. Christians just simply stay at home. They're part of the family of God. They have everything to lose by what is happening around them. And yet they stay home with no interest or experience in worship or service. Too many believers today see their faith as purely personal experience. They see involvement in the church as an optional part of their life. I sometimes see this attitude expressed. If I have nothing better to do, then I'll go to church. As long as worship does not interfere with my rest and my recreation or challenge my convictions or cause me discomfort, then I'll participate. I came across a letter that a church member wrote to their pastor. I don't know when it was written. doesn't matter. still applicable. Dear Pastor, you often stress attendance at church as being very important for a Christian. I totally agree with you, but I totally agree. Casey calls that word, but, the great eraser word. It erases everything you just said. But I agree with you. But I think a person has a right to miss a service now and then. I have looked at our own attendance over the past year. And I think that every year a person ought to be excused from church for the following reasons. And for the number of times indicated. Number one, Christmas holidays. The Sunday before and after are so busy. That's two Sundays. New Year's. Sorry, for, but the party lasted just too long. One Sunday. Easter, we get away for the holidays. That's at least two Sundays. July 4th, we spend the weekend with family one Sunday. Labor Day, I really needed that break last year. It was gone one Sunday. Memorial Day, we need to visit hometown folk. We'll be out one Sunday. School, shutting down for the season. The kids needed a break. We'll be gone one Sunday. Then school reopens and the kids need one more fling. So we'll be gone one more Sunday. Family reunions, my family and my wife's family, that's two more Sundays. We sleep late once in a while throughout the year. Sorry, but we stayed up too long on Saturday night. We'll account at least five Sundays for that. We have to factor in deaths in the family. We'll miss at least two Sundays. 
And then our anniversary. We need to go on a second honeymoon. We'll miss one Sunday for that. And then there's always sickness. And since, you know, we'll figure two per family member when one is sick, then no one else can come. So that means we'll be out eight Sundays for that. And then uh, there's the business trip. What can I say? My work expects it. So I'll miss at least one Sunday for that. And then there's vacation two weeks every year. So that's two more Sundays. And then there's always that bad weather. There's ice, sometimes there's snow and rain and drizzle and clouds. That's four more Sundays. And ball games, we need to keep up with our sports teams. And so we'll allow six Sundays for that. And then we go to the races, and please don't judge me, but we'll miss probably two Sundays for that. And you always have unexpected company, and we just can't leave them at home by themselves. So that we'll allow two Sundays for that. And, and then there's a time change, daylight savings time in the spring and fall. And we get all messed up, so that's two more Sundays. And... There's always specials on TV on Sunday that we like to stay home and watch, a Super Bowl, etc. So we'll allow three Sundays for that. So, Pastor, that leaves two Sundays per year that we'll be in church. So you can count on us to be in church on the fourth Sunday in February and the first Sunday in August. We will be there unless we are providentially hindered by something else. Sincerely. Your faithful member. Can anybody feel Pastor Payne here today? Let's move on to the second group. Talked about the crowd that's not willing, not able. The second group is able but not willing. And we'll just call them the curious. They're able. They're able. They're not willing. The 32,000 that came to fight were no match for the huge army that they faced. But God wanted to make it very clear that it was in His strength and not the army's strength that Israel would be saved. So when given the choice to stay or leave, 22,000, 22,000, 69% of Gideon's army left and went home. 22,000. They went home. That's important that you notice that. They went home. They were able to do it. They weren't willing. Even though they had been summoned had, and had, they had shown up for the battle, their hearts wasn't in it. They were not really committed to do what they had been called to do. They, were, they had other things to do. And I'm sure that within this group of 22,000 men, there were many warriors. There were people that could have fought. They willing. They were able. They weren't willing. So there must have been many who had faced other battles in the past and knew combat well. Listen to Pastor. They did not stay and fight because their minds and hearts were somewhere else. Perhaps they had things to do at home or perhaps they were just afraid. Perhaps they had been hurt in the past and did not want to be hurt again. So today in the church, there are many experienced and talented people that are wasting their gifts and talents. They're just not interested in serving. Many have been trained and equipped for service and have the skills and gifts needed to teach and lead and so on. But they're just not interested in doing it. What these soldiers desperately needed was greater vision and pure faith. Perhaps these soldiers left because all they had seen in the past was defeat. Have you ever felt defeated in an area of service? 
I know of pastors in churches today that have seen nothing but defeat in ministry. And I know some of them who have left the ministry forever because of this. As a matter of fact, in America and Protestant churches, there's some 1,300 preachers that are leaving the ministry every month to not return again. If these soldiers had only known what was about to happen, I have grieved, Sister Murphy and I have grieved when Grace Church in its history has had fantastic moments of victory and triumph only to realize that just a few weeks, a few months prior, people walked out the door and did not return and could not persuade them in what was coming. And I'll do the same again today. I've heard from the Lord. I've heard from the Holy Ghost. And God has some amazing things coming down the pike for this church. It would be a shame to pack up and leave now. My heart grieves for those that have, and I say that with all due respect. But uh, if these men had only known what was about to happen, I'm sure they would have stayed. In fact, wild horses could probably not have drugged them away if they had only known the miracle that was about to take place where a small group of soldiers would defeat and pursue a huge army running for its life. If they had just known that, there is no way they would have left. Maybe you're here today and you have been burned by serving in the past. You know that you are able to serve. You know what your gifting and talent is. But you're not using them anywhere. Perhaps you just feel that you have too many other things happening in your life right now. God wants to give you a fresh vision of service. God wants to use you to defeat the enemy surrounding us. He wants to use you to push back the darkness. I want to encourage everybody to find a ministry and get involved. You will never know the thrill of walking on the water until you get out of the boat. The third group that Gideon had to face and had to understand, they were willing, but they weren't able. And I'm going to call them the committed. They're the committed. They were 9,700 that was left of the 22,000 that had left. And they chose to fight but still did not experience battle. Much was, has been written about why God would have separated out the men who put their face down to the water to drink from the men who brought the water to their mouths to drink. I don't know that, that, that this choice was arbitrary. I think that God was intentionally selecting the trained soldiers from this group and experienced soldiers always on the lookout and keeps the battlefield in sight at all times. The 300 who brought the water to their mouths were the veterans and the most experienced soldiers in the group. But I add to that, these were the people that totally believed in Gideon's vision. They believed him when he said, I've heard from God.
They believed him when he said, I talked to the angel of the Most High. They believed him when he said, I heard what the prophet said. They believed him when he said, I snuck into the enemy's camp and I heard what they said about the sword of Gideon about to come down on our head and we better get out of here. I heard all of that. These 300, this bunch. Willingness is an absolute essential element in Christian service, but it must be tempered with ability. Training and equipping are essential. The Christian life is not about trying. The Christian life is not about trying. It's about training. I'll give you an example. Say that I was told that a year from now I would be running in a 20K marathon. But I did nothing about it. I did zero preparation. When the day came to run, I would not finish that race. Even if I was really motivated and if I wanted to with all of my heart, I would not finish because I had done nothing to train or prepare. Likewise, a heart for ministry is not enough. Trying and training are two different things. These 9,700 people needed experience and training. Notice that Gideon did not send them back home. Remember the 22,000 went home. They went all the way back home. He didn't send these people back home. He sent them to their tent. In other words, you may not be up to snuff right now, but once you witness what is about to happen, you're going to want to come back. You're going to want to be a part of it. And we're going to need your help. We're fixing to chase the Midianites plum out of our country, plum out of their own country practically. We're going to defeat them sorely. And we're going to need a little help. So don't go too far away. I'm asking our committed folks here today, don't go home. Don't leave. Because something amazing is about to happen at Grace Church. And you may not be able to participate in this battle, but we're going to need you back. We're going to need you to come back after a while because we're going to need some help. We're going to need some Sunday school teachers. We're going to need some more singers and musicians. We're going to need people in a production staff. I believe today with all of my heart that I've heard from God and God has a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost in mind for this church. And I'm asking the committed, don't go far away because we're going to need you back. Woo! Hallelujah. Discipleship is a process by which un, the untrained, the untrained but willing people are transformed into militant believers for Jesus. Many have come through it and their lives have been changed. Get in it and grow in Christ and learn to use your gifting for the kingdom. So it's just the next few moments I have left. I want to talk to you about the 300. I want to talk to you about this bunch. This bunch. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a part of this bunch. Mean it. Mean it. I'm a part of this bunch. These are the willing and able, and I will call them the core. The few that remained were both willing and available. They had shown this in action 
and an attitude. With this small group, God was able to defeat a mighty enemy and win the most preposterous victory, I think, is in the Bible. The same is true today. A trumpet is being sounded throughout our church. A mighty enemy has marched out and declared war upon us. God is looking for a people who are willing to serve. People who are willing to serve and able to be equipped for service. We must join together in the fight. I cannot imagine how stupid and ridiculous these 300 men felt when Gideon gave them a pitcher like you pour water with, a pitcher, a trumpet, and a lantern and said, let's go to battle. No sword, no spear, no shield, no horses, nothing. You've got to put yourself in that place. There's 182,000 trained soldiers with all of the kind of armament back then that you can imagine. There are camels there, there that they rode into war back then because of the desert and all that. You couldn't even number how many they had. And you believe in this man named Gideon. I trust Gideon what you said, but he never told them how they were going to be equipped for battle until he got rid of all the other ones that wouldn't believe it. I cannot imagine how heroic those 300 felt. Never before in their soldier history had they ever defeated an enemy with those three items. And on top of that, they descended that hill and started chasing the Midianites out of that valley with a trumpet and a lantern. And they, they were minus one thing. They broke the picture so they couldn't carry it. It was broken. And they're swinging lanterns. Get the picture. It's just as stupid as you can imagine. But when God is on your side, nothing makes more sense. And by the time that whole thing was over with, all they could say was God did it. And that was the whole entire point, was God did it. I want to say thank you to the many men and women who faithfully serve this church from week to week. Thank you for being willing and able to serve. For those who take care of our, our babies on Sunday morning during our worship service, our Sunday school teachers. We baptized Brady Fastfinder a couple of months ago. I see him sitting back there. How old is he, Marty? Nine, nine years old. He was praying right back in there where Jonathan and Shannon are sitting, tears streaming. Never seen him do that. Hinsley was there and helped pray him through the Holy Ghost. Found out later what happened. His Sunday school teacher, Sister April, who's sitting back there, taught a Sunday school lesson. And she don't play. She said, she lined up chairs, and I want you to pretend that this is an airplane. And it's going to heaven. And if you want to get on it, you better repent and be baptized. Aha! And filled! Aha! With a baptism of the Holy Ghost! Aha! 
And poor Brady was sat there, God, I want on this plane, I want on this plane, oh God. And he got on it that Sunday. He even confessed to his dad, Marty, going home that Sunday. Dad, I think I like church now. It makes a difference when you're on the airplane and when you're not on the airplane. But that's the kind of Sunday school teachers we have. And all of you sweet parents that host the Friday night youth social for this bunch sitting up here at the front, for our worship team, for our production booth, for our concierge, our greeters. I appreciate Sister Landry for our church office, our security team. And on and on it goes. I thank God for these people because in my mind, you're this bunch. I submit to Grace Church as we move forward again as you stand with me this morning. We have to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation in this church. We have to see people baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in this church. We must see miracle signs and wonders in this church. We must have a revival at Grace Church. Our greatest legacy will be those whose lives have been eternally changed because of our willingness to serve. This bunch can be amazing and do exploits. Sunday before last, Brother Ben preached an absolute masterpiece of a message. If you didn't see it or hear it, go back and please watch it. We were at my son and daughter-in-law's house in Lafayette during the storm, and I had them pull it up on their screen at home, and we watched Brother Ben's sermon again. I don't want to be here just for observation. I'm not going to ask Jesus to get out of my way so I can watch something else that might be more spectacular that I can think of. What a message. And I left here from what things that had happened that week prior. I felt like if God was ever on our side, He is now. Well, that was affirmed Sunday before last. When I got home, laying back in my recliner mulling over the service and I got a text from Brother Billy he said will you have a chance call me Brother Billy's a man of faith and has been to me for since I've met him been through a lot of things God has used him literally to foretell the future in people's lives and what have you trust this man so I called him so I've been talking to, I call her Michelle. He takes off the M off of it, just calls her Shell. I guess he just don't feel like the energy to say Michelle, just Shell. So I talked to Shell, and she keeps telling me I need to call you. I ask him what's up. He said when the praise team was singing, he said it was their third to the last song two Sundays ago. Sister Murph and I went back when I was telling her this story when the praise team was singing turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face he said I was just caught up in the moment of worship wasn't particularly thinking about things extraordinary or whatever but he said just like that he said over in that corner of the sanctuary in that corner of the sanctuary two angels appeared with a sword in their hand and they 
they ascended heavenward came in kind of a, in an arc an arch over, over right here and kind of touched and then when they departed one just like that went over this section went over that section he said it went so fast I didn't even turn around to see where they went but he said I just felt like you needed to know that he said you have no idea what you just said so today in conclusion I read to you the words of that song God is fighting for us pushing back the darkness that has been reverberating in my head I've hummed it, I've sung it lighting up the kingdom cannot be shaken in the name of Jesus enemies defeated and we'll shout it out when I was getting ready for church this morning a thought just hit me all of a sudden about the Baker 12 12 people that were part of this church when we came to pastor some 27, 28 years ago, however long it's been. Brother Alexander asked me what about, we'd been there about a year. He said, what did you see when I pulled when you pulled up in the parking lot for the first time? I saw the broken down building and all of that. You all heard that story, but I saw something else too. I wished I could say I saw exactly this, but it wasn't, but it was a church and full of people and what have you. And it occurred to me this morning that we're going to have a new name for the Baker 12. We're going to call them the Baker Dozen. Not the Dirty Dozen. The Baker Dozen. And who would have ever thought, who would have ever thought that God would have taken that bunch and did this for them? Twelve people. Casey became our keyboard player at age 13. Steve Bunch played the guitar. My son Marcus played the drums. And Brother Dave Bunch standing right here played the bass guitar. That was our band, and I think he was 17, 18 years old at the time. 17. He was the oldest, and Casey was the youngest. That was our musicians. And our singers were recruited from every part of that church you could imagine which included those that could sing and those that couldn't carry a tune in a bucket but we had church and God took the baker dozen y'all are not hearing me today we did our best with what little we had to work with we didn't have any money back in those days we had nothing but God said that's all I had was God said that's all I possessed was God said that's all I said all I could preach was what God said we did and it took some 15 years to get here but here we are but I'm telling you today there's people here today that came to the Baker Church early on Boo and Melanie are here they've witnessed it there's others here that witnessed it Brother Billy was come in in a sheriff's uniform and stand in the back back in those days they saw how small it was and how inferior it was and nobody paid attention to it and it was just a burn over field I was told the community had thought the church had closed down I heard all of that but God had something else to say to that church. And what he said then, he's saying now, I will take this bunch and I'll push back the darkness and I'll light up my kingdom like you can't imagine this bunch. This bunch. 
going to narrow this down just a little bit. Everybody's going to have an opportunity to pray and talk to God for a few moments. But for right now, I don't know if y'all can do that pushing back the darkness song or not, or maybe we'll do it a little bit later in the altar service. But I want our junior high, high school, college folks, I want y'all to come, our students to come stand up here. Kind of spread apart a little bit. Don't bunch all up in a big knot like y'all usually do. Kind of spread apart a little bit. If there is a bunch of people that I believe in today, they're standing right here. They're not afraid. As a matter of fact, some of them don't really know what's going on in our culture right now. But they feel a difference when they come to this church. And they worship and they serve. If y'all serve somewhere on our JV team, would you raise your hand if you serve in some capacity? Say all the hands that are involved in this church. Y'all don't do nothing. You work in the media booth, would you raise your hand? Y'all don't do nothing. Sorry. They're not JV technically. So I want I need as many hands up here. If you want to lie about it, go ahead. You can repent later. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> But in this moment, in this atmosphere of God blowing a trumpet, and he's giving us a summons. I need some people that just trust me. And they trust the man of God and what he's saying. If I can get a group like that, I'll turn this church on its ear. If I can get a group, I believe in you. I believe in you kids. Students, I believe in you guys. Y'all know that. Those that know pastor, they know that. I want the adults to come back down. I prayed for four women here last, the Sunday before last. You know who you are. The pastor prayed for you. Y'all only prayed for four. You know who you are. I'd like for you to come down here. I'd like y'all to come first and stand behind me. You know who you are. God touched you, ladies, last Sunday. God touched you, ladies, last Sunday. else to come stand behind these students as they begin to sing and play softly and I want us to pray for them that their faith fail not especially in this time everybody come to that
shaken. 